Christian Fellowship Church. I'm excited to jump into the Proverbs with you, and as we prepare our hearts to do that, um, I want to do two things really quickly. One, help you find Proverbs. So if you crack your, if you're using an actual paper Bible, crack your Bible open kind of in the middle. If you land in the Psalms, you might land in the Psalms if you open your Bible middle-ish. It's the next book to the right of the Psalms, okay? The book of Proverbs. We're going to be there, and I invite you, secondly, to pray with me as we ask the Lord to speak to us today. Our Father, we are grateful to you for the privilege of having your word, to look to it, to learn from it, and we pray that you would help us to um, live it out as well. Empower us, Father, to understand it and to apply it, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I thought about the place of Proverbs in our lives as as Christians, and the reason why it's important is because I think sometimes as Christians we tend to think in terms of black and white. There's right and wrong. There's a thing that God said I shouldn't do and some things that he said I should do, and everything in between is fair game. And everything in between is not fair game. So I'll give you an example from real life, and then I'll give you an example from the Proverbs. Example from real life happened just yesterday. We went for a family bike ride, and uh, our youngest is in front of me, but behind Tina. Actually, we didn't confer on this, so sorry. Um, so we start pulling, you know, the, the youngest daughter and myself, we're, we're pulling back from the pack a little bit. Her legs are getting tired. It's, it was a long trail. And there's a path, you know, the side that goes forward, then there's the oncoming traffic on the opposing lane. And my daughter's faced with a situation where she's coming up on people that are slower than us because they're walking, and then bikers that are coming on the opposite lane. And so I, I, I shout to her, hey, slow down, because I didn't want her to go in the opposite lane and crash with people that are coming. I'm like, just slow down, wait for the opposing people to pass, and then and then go around. She's like, but mom told me to go for it, kind of thing, right? And I was like, but I don't want you to crash. And she's like, but mom said, always, like, go. And I'm like, okay. And we're biking. I didn't want to pull out the whiteboard and, you know, draw charts, as is my instinct. Maybe 15, 20 minutes later, the situation happens again, but we're closer, and mom is shouting backwards, go for it. But dad said to always stop. No, you go for it. That's the issue. Okay? As Christians, we're like, Bible says, do not commit adultery. So as long as I don't sleep with someone who's not my wife, I'm good. Is that correct? What did Jesus say about that? Is there something transpiring in your heart before that action that is also a problem? Yeah, but I didn't break that letter of the law. But the black and white thinking can get you in trouble. Thou shalt not murder. When you read through the Proverbs, you see there's all kinds of murder besides actually killing somebody, right? So the biblical example, we're going to jump, we're going to be in chapter 1, but real quickly, is in chapter 26 is an easy example there. Some of you are familiar with this, but I think if we're, it's been a while or maybe you've not seen these two verses back to back, it'll illustrate what I was just trying to show you from my family's bike ride yesterday. Proverbs chapter 26, Proverbs chapter 26, look at verse 4. 
Okay. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. In other words, when you're talking with someone who's a babbling idiot, they're saying things that are foolish. They're saying things that are not true or, you know, they're against God's wisdom. Don't stoop to that person's level and do the same thing. Don't, don't be the kid, the childish person who's like, well, they started it, right? So this is, we would say, don't stoop to their level, right? But then look at the next verse. The first verse says, don't answer a fool according to his folly because you might be like him yourself. The next verse, verse 5, do answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes. If you don't respond to the fool, they're going to think they were right. So win the argument. Well, which one is it? Don't answer the fool or answer the fool. And so you're like my daughter on her bike going, do I pass or do I stop? You know, do I slow down and wait or do I go? And it's like, well, yeah, sometimes you do need to pull out the whiteboard and be like, it depends on the gap. Depends on how fast you're going. How fast are the, is the biker coming on, in the other lane? How many people are in front of you? Can you squeeze in between? If it's one person and you say on your left and they move over a little bit, hey, new situation, you just parted the path and you can kind of go in the middle. Uh, does that mean that the rule I gave or the rule that Tina gave were wrong? No, it means that it takes wisdom to apply the rules. So we would make a mistake to read the Proverbs as hard and fast rules that don't take context to apply, that don't take thinking to apply, that aren't situational. They are situational. But we would also be remiss to take them as like, yeah, take it or leave it. They're not really, they're so situational that they don't matter. No, they do matter. They do matter. Because as with our instructions to our daughter, the goal is to prevent crash. And the Proverbs are here for guidance. The Proverbs are here for daily wisdom. And there are so many of them to try to help you understand how to take God's truth, even God's laws, and apply them in actual life, daily living. And so most of the Proverbs between chapter 10 through uh, 28, you've got Proverbs that are sort of each verse is kind of like a fortune cookie. You crack open a fortune cookie and it's got one line. Uh, the big difference there is these are actually helpful, right? And they're true. Uh, but it might talk about finances. It might talk about how to maintain friendships. It talks about how to be a good employee, how to be a good employer, how to be a good physical neighbor to somebody who lives next to you, etc., etc. So as we look into the Proverbs, the reason why we need the Proverbs is because we need to understand that the Christian life is not just about black and white letter of the law, although we do have instructions from God. These things are wrong. These things are right. But in that in-between area that some of us call, it's a gray area. Well, in the gray areas, we need to figure out what is right. So we need some different categories, not just right and wrong, but what is wise, what is expedient, what is prudent, what's best in this situation. Even if you can wiggle out of it because uh, there's not a, an explicit black and white verse that says you can't do that, it still might be dumb to do that. Wise, foolish, smart, stupid, unlearned, 
learned. You're going to see these contrasts between the person who's instructed and growing in guidance and the person who's just like, eh, there's not a law about it, so I'm just going to wing it. So what is the purpose of the Proverbs? The purpose of the Proverbs is to help you in wise dealing in life. To help you apply God's truth rightly in life. To help you make decisions in life. Let's look at these first uh, six verses. We're going to look at the first seven verses. We'll take the first six together. Here's how they read in the ESV. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. That's what this is. Now what is it for? To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand the proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So in these first six verses, we see clearly the Proverbs, what they're for, right? Here's Proverbs. Here's who's writing it. Here's who's giving it to you. And here's why I'm giving it to you. It's given to us by Solomon. They're compiled. Uh, that doesn't mean Solomon came up with all of them. But he's compiling the best sayings, the best uh, sort of maxims or pithy truths that you can remember and memorize and say it um, and apply it to situations. I am often, uh, in a holy way, I hope, envious of brothers and sisters who are really good at memorizing Scripture and they memorize Proverbs and apply them to situations on the spot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's war. Um, so they're, they're short, quick, punchy sayings that are, that are collected by this king who was the wisest of them all. You remember, uh, ironically, God asked him, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon says, well, give me wisdom. And he's like, wow, that was so wise. Like he already has enough wisdom to ask for wisdom, but he has enough wisdom to understand how much he still lacks and that he needs more of it. So God gives him the wisdom and the riches. Riches ended up killing him. And I think probably later in life, as he compiles these, we see so much of these Proverbs are about how you can start on the right path and then fall off. Wisdom and wealth are two of the big ones that killed him, in a sense. And he writes to his son, if you look at verse 8, Hear my son, your father's instruction. You're going to see that the flavor of the Proverbs is a father sitting his son down, like, don't make these mistakes. You need this wisdom. Of course, he's the son of David, king of Israel. So you know that this is within the covenant people. And then he's giving not just to his literal son in front of him, but this is for use throughout the kingdom. Anyone who's a kingdom citizen should apply this to life. What's it for? Well, it's to know wisdom and instruction. Those things are often paired. You see it again in verse 7. Fools despise that pairing, wisdom and instruction. They don't like to learn. But these are for the person who wants to learn. This is for the person who doesn't just go, you know, la, 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 I'm not listening. I just want to do what I want to do. No, I don't want to crash. I need guidance. 
And this is what it's for. It's for wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. Literally, that's sayings of understanding. They are sayings of understanding, meaning when you don't have these Proverbs locked down, you don't understand what to do in that situation. But when you ingest these Proverbs, you have a greater understanding as to what to do in the situation, to be ready for it. I don't recommend using Proverbs like you're stuck in a situation, start combing through the Proverbs real quick, which one hits? We need to spend time in wisdom so when the situations hit, we already have been washed over so much with wisdom, we can instinctually know where to go in that situation versus pulling out the manual. Uh, If my daughter had to pull out a whiteboard every time she's biking and there's someone in front of her and someone coming in the other lane, it's too late for the whiteboard, right? So we meditate on God's word day and night. We love it. Of course, Psalm 1 refers to God's law, but the Proverbs are applying God's law. How do you apply it in situations? We need wisdom and instruction. We need these words of insight or these sayings of understanding. It says in verse 4, or in the second half of verse 3, uh, this is about righteousness, justice, and equity. You see that? So it's not only the black and white stuff that, regar- that is regarding what is righteous and what is just. How do, you, how do you deal with people in equity? But it takes wisdom to apply that stuff. But it's still right and wrong, even if it's not black and white. It's prudence. Verse 4, these Proverbs are here to give prudence. That's, that's about decision-making that doesn't necessarily always fit the rule book to the person who is simple. That does not mean... You know, you, you wear clogs and knit your own Afghans, like simple living, right? You, you have your own farm and you raise your own honey with bees. You don't raise honey. I don't know. Simple means uh, unlearned, inexperienced, naive, green, new, <laughs> a newbie, a novice, a rookie. All those words are what is implied here by simple, not a simple life or simple living, which has a lot to commend for it. We get cluttered and complex and it becomes difficult, but there's Proverbs that speak to that as well. But this, by simple, it means simple-minded, unlearned. Not stupid versus smart. Not stupid versus smart. More than one occasion, I've reminded my kids, they are, uh, in many ways, have already demonstrated they're smarter than me. That doesn't make you wiser than me. So sit down. We we often confuse GPA with wisdom. This is prudence given to the simple for knowledge and discretion. See that? I, I love the stacking of words. Like if this one doesn't do it for you, how about this one? Discretion and knowledge. That already shows you knowledge is not just something you can get out of a book. Because discretion is situational. How do you decide between one situation or another? Or one, you're choosing between one or two or three doors to open here. How do I make that decision with discretion, with wisdom, with knowledge? What is the instruction that helps me? When it says to the youth, sure, it could mean literal youth. But some of us, you know, 
we're in our 50s, 60s, 70s, but we haven't walked with the Lord very long, we might be behind, you know, in, in some wisdom. And so it doesn't have to mean literal youth. It, it, it's to somebody who, with regard to wisdom, is young. We're rookies, and we're simple-minded, and we need wisdom to grow up and to mature. It gives prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, here's the call, verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. As with Solomon, who was wise enough to ask for wisdom, you have to start somewhere with enough wisdom to go, yeah, I need it. But I thought you said this was for the simple. Now it says, let the wise hear. Well, if you're so simple-minded that you don't understand that you're simple-minded, you're kind of hopeless. But if you just have enough wisdom to understand, boy, I really need wisdom. Because making decisions in this crazy world, what is the right thing? You know, we were, for a long time, so many people wore the braces. What would Jesus do? Yeah, what would he do? Do we claim to know what he would do in every situation? It takes wisdom to know it. So if you've got just enough wisdom to understand that you need it, verse 5 is saying, this is for you. Let the wise hear and increase. Get more of it. Increase in learning. And the one who understands, understands everything, no, understands just enough to know that you're going to get lost. You'll crash and burn without guidance. So let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the one who understands obtain guidance. Guidance to understand the proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Take, check out how it just took a turn right there. What it seems like he's been saying this whole time is, if you're just wise enough to understand, you need the guidance. If you just have enough understanding to understand that you need to obtain guidance in verse 5, in verse 6 says, you need that to understand the Proverbs I'm going to give you. It sounds like he was saying, you need these Proverbs to understand how to make those decisions. And now he's saying, you need wisdom to understand the Proverbs that I'm going to give you in order to make those decisions. To understand, you need wisdom, increase in learning, and guidance that you obtain. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. I've never really thought about that one before. I just kind of blow past it. But have you ever read a proverb and you're like, I don't understand how that, I'm not exactly sure. The elders can attest to you, we spent years actually going through the Proverbs one chunk at a time. And on more than one occasion, I just told the elders, like, I don't understand what that means. What does that mean? And so we'd unpack it, and I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. Well, if that were true, that would contradict these other ones. And we kind of have to, like, hash it out a little bit. So I don't think he means literal riddles, uh, like the kind that Samson gave to win some shirts out of a closet. Uh... I think he means you're going to come across some of these things and go, man, I don't get that. And the dilemma is I don't have the wisdom to get it sometimes. And so is this almost circular thing. You need enough wisdom to understand that you need wisdom. You also need wisdom to understand the things that are there to help you to understand wisdom. I suppose if my daughter was like, look, dad says to stop Mom says, go for it. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to just do what I want. That would mean she doesn't have enough understanding to at least recognize there's real danger here. 
and maybe an actual crash would snap her to it and go, wait a minute, okay, I need to revisit this mom and dad thing, right? But if she understands enough, it might be frustrating, but mom said this and dad said that, and yes, it's frustrating to try to figure that out, but she has enough wisdom to lean into it and want to figure it out. At least in that moment yesterday she did. I don't you know. So as this author is laying out, hey, we're about to jump into all these Proverbs, actually, you know, nine chapters of preface stuff before we get into the sayings, because you have to understand that there's these two doors of wisdom and folly, and one of them is going to be really attractive, and you've got to choose the other one. But you need enough wisdom to begin with to get there, to get into that process of continual increase in learning in verse 5, and to understand these things that are hard to understand, these hard sayings, words of the wise. If I'm a fool, how do I understand them? If they're wise, sometimes they feel like riddles. That is why the Proverbs are not just about making good decisions in life. The Proverbs are about how making good decisions in life uh, are made by people who belong in covenant relationship with God. That's the starting place. The starting place is belonging with God first, being in covenant relationship with God first. Then you're put into a situation where now you can increase in the kind of learning God wants. And we're going to see that. In verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So right there, you see the person who doesn't have enough wisdom to even want it, that's the fool. But the person who has just enough wisdom to know, man, I really need this, but I lack it, that's someone who fears God. That's someone who fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The word covenant doesn't come up often in the Proverbs. It does come up explicitly in chapter 2, verse 17, but what I want you to understand is that the covenant relationship with God is assumed for the reader of the Proverbs. You see that back up in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So he, he's, or, he's not just a random wise dude, right? The introduction is not random wise guy. Collection of random sayings around the world. Lots of people get it right. I put them together. Anyone who's wise enough to read them, read them. Why does he put it in the context of kingship and then within the context specifically of the Davidic kingship? Well, I think it's because, first of all, this assumes a covenant people that want to do what the king wants them to do. You remember in the book of Judges how wild that book is? Uh, I don't want to ask a show of hands, but if you've not read the book of Judges and you're, and you're in for some popcorn and a rated R movie, go read the book of Judges. Sit there as a couple and read it together and weep and wince and shudder at the utter craziness in that book. But throughout the book, the author reminds you the reason why this is so crazy is because they did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't have wisdom. They did what was right to them. And then the author tells us the reason why they did what was right to them is because they had no king. They had no king. Then you get into 1 Kings, 2 Kings, right? And you're like, oh, a good king. Oh, no, he's not that good. Oh, this king. Oh, that king. Some of them are from the beginning, they're terrible. A long litany. 
of bad kings, but one king in particular was the best projection of the soon coming king and Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would be the perfect prophet, priest, and king, and that was David. And so the promise of Jesus coming as king is through the promise specifically of David. Israel had other kings, but David is the one that received that promise that it would be his throne, his seat, that the Messiah would sit on and rule over his people. So you've got this kingdom picture, this rule with a throne. Yes, David, but we know that it's the better David, the ultimate David, King, the King Jesus Christ himself. And it's when you belong to him that now we can start talking about wisdom. You belong to him first. Jesus said, follow me, and you chose to follow because you realized doing things that were right in your own eyes, you were crashing all over the place. And you come to Jesus because he is the wisdom of God. You come into this covenant, and then look at the language used. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord. How many of you have the Lord in all caps right there in your translation that you're looking at? It's in all capitals, right? Sometimes the Lord has L as capital, and the rest of the letters are normal. This one is like capital L-O-R-D, right? Because if you were reading in the Hebrew, this word is Yahweh, and that is the covenant name. A lot of you know this. That's the covenant name. So even though Proverbs doesn't talk a lot specifically about covenant, it assumes the covenant. It assumes you're in the kingdom, that you know Yahweh, and you fear him. That's the start. That's the beginning. Fearing the Lord is the beginning, not chronologically. It doesn't mean that's, you know, step one in time, and then other things happen in time. It's more foundational. That's the, that's the bedrock upon which you build your life of wisdom. Without that bedrock, you can use the Proverbs, but you'll use them inconsistently, and you're still lost. A non-Christian can use a proverb, but they wouldn't do it as someone who respects God's covenant and understands that we read Scripture because we want to understand who God is and what He expects of us as His people. I'm not living out the Proverbs because I want more things in my life. I'm living out the Proverbs because God himself is the thing in my life, and I want to do what he wants. That is so radically different than using the Proverbs to try to gain better traction in life in general. The Proverbs assumes that you know God. The Proverbs assumes that you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. You know how often the Proverbs talk about the diligent person versus the lazy person? Have you ever read through Proverbs and it just over and over again, the diligent person is like the ant, the sluggard person turns on his, in his bed like a door on hinges, over and over again? Well, what, is, what are the Ten Commandments? What's in there about diligence? Well, six days you shall work and rest one. Now, the, an emphasis there is, hey, we need to rest one. It's a Sabbath law. But don't miss the two sides of that commandment. Work six, man. Six days you shall work. Not three, not two, not when you feel like it. Six days you will work. And seven, seventh one, rest to remind yourself, your work doesn't produce your life. I do it. I provide. I'm the shepherd. Your work didn't part the Red Sea. Your work didn't get you out of Egypt. Your work doesn't provide manna. Your work doesn't defeat the Amalekites. I do it. And so we need to be reminded with that rest that our work doesn't produce, but on the other end of the spectrum, we might be like so hands-off that we don't work. But the commandment is actually to work and be diligent. Thou shalt not murder. 
Often the Proverbs talk about how the fool's line wait to kill. That may be literal. That may be just taking advantage of people. They're, they're murderous in their intent toward neighbor instead of wanting to give life to their neighbor. So many warnings against adultery. And as you will see as we press through the Proverbs, it's not just committing the act of adultery, but other things that lead up to it that are dumb. And by virtue of being dumb, foolish, stupid, they're wrong. And we need that category to escape danger. How many pastors, ministers, Christians have gotten in trouble because it's not wrong to be alone with that woman. It's not wrong to be a little flirtatious. It's not wrong to go on a date. It's not wrong to confess and bear our hearts because my spouse won't listen to me anymore. And then you're like, how did you get there? You're committing adultery. How did you get there? Well, it probably wasn't in a moment. It probably was a, a long path of stupidity that led there. Do not commit adultery. That's black and white. But when you read the Proverbs, you're like, in this gray area, there's a lot of stuff I need to know. There's a lot of stuff here that I need to know. Proverbs talks about how, how to love your neighbor. I'll give you one example, and that's 11.1. 1. You can turn there, or you can just listen. Proverbs 11, verse 1. A false balance. Now, balance, imagine you're in the grocery store, and you're taking a bunch of you know, bananas or something and putting it on that scale, that balance, that scale, Okay. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A just weight is his delight. Okay. What does that have to do with covenant? What does that have to do with our relationship to the Lord? Well, we're supposed to love the Lord and love our neighbor, and this does neither one. Because a false balance hurts your neighbor, and God hates it. So therefore, you don't love God in it either. If you're the grocery store owner and you rig that scale to read a couple pounds heavier than it's supposed to, and they weigh five pounds of bananas, but it reads seven pounds of bananas, and they pay a dollar a pound because that's what the sign says, so they're paying you $7 when they should have paid you $5, you rob them of $2. Now, you can imagine somebody going, hey, but we're supposed to be shrewd, it's business, it's hard, it's blah, blah, blah. God hates that. That's an abomination to God. So if your number one thing is your bottom line, your margin, your profit, You might do that. If your bottom line is what God hates, or to put it positively, your bottom line is to love God. And as a result of loving God, loving neighbor, then you won't do that. And the covenant person thinks that way. We're we're all for profit and margins. There's a lot of that in Proverbs too. It is not wrong to make a profit. It is not wrong to be successful. And in many ways, success in this life, physical success, can be, it often is, a sign of God's blessing in your life. We'll talk about that, okay? But if you secure it by ripping people off, you don't fear the Lord. And whatever wise dealing you think you're doing, you're already way off the cliff, man. Because you miss first base. You're pumping your fist, rounding third, think you, you, miss, you didn't tag. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, verse 7. And if you don't fear the Lord, who cares how you balance the scale, right? It begins there. It starts there. Now, when we say fear, I know that can be a tricky word. And in the past, I think even myself, I've said, well, fear, you know, it doesn't really mean terror. It can also mean awe, respect, right? 
I think it means both. I think it means both. And I hope this isn't a corny example, but you all have electrical outlets in your house. Do you fear those? If you're like, <laughs> no, I'm about to send you some articles, right? The fires that they can cause, the new hairstyles they can induce, the pain they can inflict, right? Stupidly sticking things in them or some appliance shorts, you weren't home, you come home and your house is in shambles or something like that. Well, who doesn't have electrical outlets in their house? You know what I'm saying? Like, we could do that, do that with cars. How many, how, how many people die each day driving cars? If we really swallow that, we'd have a hard time leaving this parking lot in our vehicles. We still drive. We still have electrical outlets. There is a spectrum of, of this word fear. And on one end, it can mean respect, reverence. On the other end, it can mean terror. And the reason why I say I think, I don't want to say it means this fear, not this one, is because if, if you get loosey-goosey with this one, you'll find yourself quickly going up the spectrum and you'll have this kind of fear of God because he is the mountain-shaking God who's in charge of life and death for eternity, right? So Israel, they're supposed to be in awe of God and respect him, but also know he's also the God that shakes mountains and opens up the earth to swallow up people who steal things from him. Or opens the sea for people that are in right standing to him. And then closes that sea on people who are defying him. So do I fear him in the terror sense? I might. I'm out of line. Right? I know that's, that's not the cuddly, rosy cheek Santa Claus, Coca-Cola looking version of God that we sometimes want to tell the world. But I think we need to understand that God don't play. There, there needs to be a category in our, in our theology that God doesn't get cross. He's not mocked. The fear of the Lord. And the fool hates that too. The fool hates that God can be a God of terror. And so they already don't want to pursue God's wisdom because I hate that guy. Who would use, who would who would use threats to warn people that if they don't follow him, that death ensues. As we'll see throughout the Proverbs, hey, choose the wisdom door, life. Choose the folly door, death. Oh, it's so threatening. Why is he so threatening? Why can't he just make all doors lead to awesomeness? And so that lack of fear of the Lord already means they hate wisdom and instruction and they won't get it. The believer understands their need for a king, understands that that king is given to us in Jesus Christ by Yahweh. And when we're in that relationship with him, that's our bedrock, that's our foundation, and now we're ready to read the Proverbs. Not as fortune cookies, not as random wisdom passed on from great-grandma, but God's guidance for life. God's guidance for life is foundational. So non-Christians can use wisdom. They can read a verse. Um, I'll just give you one, Proverbs 12, 11. This is easy, right? You don't have to be a Christian to understand this. Whoever, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So the person who works 
and makes money to make sure that the pantry is full, keeps a full pantry. But the guy that plays Xbox all day, he's 49 years old, lives in his mom's house, doesn't have a job, not because he's a World War vet missing a leg, there was a, a bomb that exploded. No, he's a fully capable working dude. He just would rather play games. That person's an idiot. Now, do you have to be a Christian to understand that? I think there are non-Christians that understand that, don't you? Aren't there non-Christians? Aren't there unbelieving girls that are like, I don't want to date that guy? You know? I think sometimes you've got believing Christian girls that are like, I want to date that guy. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to slap her, but I might ask a sister to do something. <laughs> you don't have to be a Christian to understand that there's wisdom in the Proverbs. You do have to be a Christian to understand the whole picture, that the Proverbs paint this huge picture, that Christ is at the center of it, and my desire to not be the guy that just plays games in the basement all day is not because I want a pretty girl. It's because I want to serve my king, and that's the difference. You can live out a proverb as a fool, or you can live out a proverb as someone who's wise. So somebody could get up in the morning, they work, they're diligent at work, and in that particular case, yeah, that's a wise thing to do, but they're not doing it for the Lord. That's not wise. That's not wise. And again, we don't want to, well, we don't have black and white verses that say how much I have to work, how often, well, actually we do, so that's probably not a good example. But we read the Proverbs and we go, yeah, that's just not wise to live like that. Christians take the long view. They understand that there's a bigger picture here. They understand that things are given to us in general. I'll give you one more, Proverbs 10.2. Proverbs 10.2, it's easy, listen. Treasures gained by wickedness don't profit you, but righteousness delivers you from death. So you can gain a lot of money by doing wicked things and not make a profit. But the righteous person, the person who doesn't do those things and just tells the truth, that might make them lose their job, that maybe means that the company won't uh, promote them through the ranks because you've got to be cutting edge, man. You can't tell people the truth about the car. You've got to sell the car for profit. What are you doing? Can Christians actually make good car salesmen? That's the dilemma. It says treasures gained by wickedness don't profit. You might think to yourself, boy, I know a lot of people who gain a lot of profit, and they're wicked. That doesn't sound true. But if you view it through covenant eyes, you recognize a couple things. One thing you recognize is, did they profit, though? There's general patterns where people find out that you're wicked, people find out that you don't tell the truth, and they're going to buy their car from somebody else. That's not just true within the church. That's just true in the world. You find out this company, I forget what fast food chain was, a dude hunts rare animals. He hunts rare animals. I'm never eating there again. People, they find out something about you that ticks them off, and you lose a customer. Is that generally true? Yes. Well, this is generally true. But Christians also take the long view and understand, you know, Jesus said something about gaining the whole world and losing your soul, and you profit zero, man. 
With covenant eyes, we take the long view and see, you know what, maybe treasures gained by wickedness do not profit means they don't profit ultimately. They don't profit in the end. But righteousness delivers from death. How about martyrs? With the sword at their neck, deny Christ. No. They weren't delivered from death. Weren't they, though? Don't they join the chorus, the host of martyrs in heaven, asking Jesus, are you going to ride the white horse? I got him. He's all ready, man. He's brushed. He's ready. Here's your sword. Please come and do this. And there are some of the heroes throughout Scripture, the book of Hebrews, the book of Revelation. They've gained life, and they are delivered from death ultimately. So we have the long view. We read Proverbs in a deeper way than someone who's not a fear of the Lord can read them. So we read them with that in mind. And we reject the position of the fool. Verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools hate it. And the reason why they hate it is because they hate God. Last thing I'll say, putting this whole book into perspective for us as believers is to understand that living out the Proverbs in wisdom is, and I've made this point already, but I want to drive it home. It's a result of your relationship with God. You already fear the Lord. That's the beginning. And it's not in a way to get in relationship with the Lord. The fool, as we learned last week uh, with Pastor Paul's sermon, the fool recognizes, I am an utter fool, and I cannot do things wisely, and what's ahead of me is destruction for sure. But Jesus came to take the brunt of the fool's punishment so that we can gain the wisdom of God. That's the starting point, as it always has been throughout the Old Testament. God rescues his people first, then gives them the rules. He didn't give them the rules in Egypt and then go, if you follow those rules, then I'll get you out of Egypt. I'll get you out of Egypt. Guess what now, though? You got to follow what I'm saying. Right? I brought you into covenant relationship with me. Now I'm going to teach you how to live. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because we have the relationship first, then the requirements, not the other way around. But if we've got the relationship, we care about the requirements. God has brought me into relationship with him. I love him. And because I love him, I love those who are made in his image. Now I care about how I'm supposed to live. And the Proverbs are going to help us with that down to finances, relationships, dating, all kinds of stuff, leadership, all kinds of things in the Proverbs. But if we don't fear the Lord, it's for nothing. Let's ask him to help us with that. Fathers, we look ahead to a time in, in this book, book of the Proverbs, we ask for help, we ask for guidance, and we pray that as we close in this song that you would give us grace to, for our hearts to love you, to love you with urgency and a fierceness that makes us serious about your wisdom and wanting to learn how to apply it in life. So receive the song of worship, Lord, as a way of us inviting you to call us to wisdom and a way of our rejecting uh, the way of the fool. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.